Well, the I might as well wait for them to get out because otherwise you're going to miss the first 22 words I say. So, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is known as a major prophet. You might have heard in Old Testament they would they would call them major or minor prophets. It does not mean because they were better or more anointed than the rest. It's simply you get that term based on the length of your book. So sometimes the length of your book puts you as a major instead of a minor. So I'm going to try to preach longer today because I want to be a major preacher and not a minor preacher. I'm kidding. His ministry is known as pre-exile because this writing took place prior to the Jewish exile in Babylon. And so Isaiah predicted these events, though, before they ever happened, which is a pretty impressive feat there. At one point in the 35th chapter, he says this. He says, because he didn't just predict the exile, he predicted the hope for restoration. That, I mean, you've got to understand, that's incredible telling someone you're going to go into exile before they go into exile, but then telling them they're going to come back and there's hope for restoration even before they go into exile. That's, that's pretty awesome. And so at one point, this 35th chapter, Isaiah says in verse 4, say to those with fearful hearts. You know, I know, I know we're talking about Isaiah, but right now when I read that, I felt God tell me to tell someone here today, this is not just a story of Isaiah. This is for you. If you have a fearful heart, let me tell you, be strong and do not fear. Be strong and do not fear. And then he says, your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the, the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and the springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named... It will be named... It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Here's what's going to happen. But I'm telling you, let me tell you the end of the story where the restoration lies. Where things were once a desolate wasteland, there will be life once again. But a road will run through that area where restoration lies in that area, will, that road will be the highway of holiness. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your presence and power. Thank you for your loyalty, your mercy, your interest in having a relationship with us when we don't deserve it. God, you are great. You are good to us. And Lord, we don't take those things for granted. We're gathered here today, Lord Jesus, not to punch a time clock or work here out of tradition. We desperately want to worship you, to know you, to hear from you, and to respond to you. So help our hearts and minds to be open. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, the topic 
of holiness is an interesting one. Right off the bat, when I say the topic of holiness, today we're going to talk about the topic of holiness. Chances are, already there's images, there's, there's things in your mind. For some, they're like, ooh, I hope he hits this. Others are like, I hope he doesn't hit that. He better not go there. Oh, here we go again. Oh, this is going to be good. Oh, this is going to be long. This is, people have their, their images of holiness. And I believe I'm going to revisit this topic for the next, the next few times I speak. I'm actually not speaking. Next, I'll be here, but I'm not going to be speaking next week. And so uh, the next several weeks that I speak, I'm going to probably cover some of these topics of holiness. Because there are many opinions about what it is, what holiness includes and does not include, whether it's necessary or not. But here is why I spend some time on it, because Scripture makes it abundantly clear that holiness is imperative. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So if we're Bible believers, if we say, I trust and believe the word of God, the holy scriptures, then there's no way you can say you're not a fan of holiness. Because without holiness, we can't see God. So we got to love holiness, preach holiness, believe in holiness. And notice something about holiness. It says here, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. And so peace with all men. There's two key components in this passage of holiness. One is follow peace with all men or all humankind or one another. And so again, you hear me preach about this vertical relationship and horizontal relationship. There has to be horizontal relationship. If all we focus on is one and not the other, we're lacking. So if all I focus is on, oh, I just want to be connected to my fellow brother and sister in the Lord, but I'm not interested in a pursuit of him, we're lacking. If all, though, I'm interested in is I'm just, I don't even care about any of you. I just want to get lost in Jesus. Do you know scripture is not for that? There is a pursuit that we are supposed to have of our relationship with him, but we're also supposed to be very aware of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. There is a vertical holiness and there is a horizontal holiness. Peace with all men, horizontal relationship. Holiness unto God vertical relationship. We can't be holy in one way and not the other. That's not God's plan. God calls us to this completeness of our pursuit of him and our desire to serve one another and bear one another's burdens. And for those who specialize in the study of English, King James says pursue, New Living says follow. Those both are verbs. They insinuate action, continuous effort, not ceasing, continue to pursue, follow. We don't apologize to someone once and then be like, it's on them now. Whatever. I said sorry if they're going to be jerks about it. We don't do that. We're following holiness. We're pursuing holiness with all men, meaning there might be some people who matter, no matter how hard you try, they're not going to like you, and that's unfortunate. And they might not forgive you, and that's unfortunate. But we have to go, no, and in my pursuit of God, I'm also pursuing holiness with one another, meaning I'm trying to make sure 
that I'm not going to be a stumbling block in your life, that for me and you, I'm not just going to say, sorry, well, now it's on you, whatever. No, I want to continue to follow after holiness, pursue holiness, to have a relationship with my brothers and sisters in the Lord and work things out according to his plan. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Sometimes scripture is just, it's super clear on things, and then other times you're just like, hmm, I look forward to hearing and seeing how that all shakes out. Kind of like when people, when they say, I'll tell you right now the way the world's going to end. I'll tell you right now, but end times, God's coming back at this time, right after this happens. You might be right, and you very well might be wrong. So for me, people will talk about, you hear me say this, that there's pre-tribulation. Does the church get taken away before God pours his wrath out in the earth? Is there mid-tribulation? Does he do it in the middle after the good things happen and then the bad, before the bad stuff starts to happen? Or is there post-tribulation, meaning the church goes through all this stuff and the wrath of God on earth, and then he calls us home? I am pan-tribulation, meaning uh, it all pans out in the end. And, and for me... If we want to argue about when the dragon rears his head and what the fire means and what the wings on the person mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm just not interested because Revelation is not a story about fire and dragons and all this. Revelation is a story about Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ wins. And so my job is to go, I'm going to keep you first, Jesus. I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to live ready, and whenever you call me home, I'm going to be ready to go. I believe that there are what one might call different levels of heaven. Now, I know you might not agree with that. That's fine. You have your, you have your choice. But do you know John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, if I'm a scriptural Bible believer... I can read that. And, you know, a lot of different denominations, they will say, well, yeah, baptism is just an outward sign of inward faith. Uh, it doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't come down to salvation. Uh, that his spirit, that's a gift. Not everybody gets it. We don't preach and believe that because that's not what we see in Scripture. The Holy Ghost is for everyone. As many as the Lord our God will call, if you desire to be filled with God's spirit, he will fill you with his spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And we see scripturally, if you look at this, go, well, hey, based on Bible, I can't argue with this. It clearly states that I cannot see God without being born of water and spirit. I can't, I can't, I can't enter into his kingdom. I can't, I can't, I can't do that without being born of the water and spirit. So the argument then becomes, we can't really argue that, well, yeah, I could get in without the water and spirit. No, it says you can't. So the argument has to be, well, then what is the water and what is the spirit? And so people will have discussions on that. Scripturally, we see the water being water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins by immersion. Spirit, we see as being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. To me, what I read there is that's the bare minimum. I can't 
enter God's kingdom. I can't even, I might knock on the door, you know, the old, the old memes and comics, like St. Peter meets me at the door, will he let me in based on my credentials, okay? I don't see that in scripture, by the way, but it's on all the comics. So I can't even get in the door, which, by the way, someone told us once that he was the door. I can't get through the door if I don't have Jesus, okay, that he's, he is the door, but I can't even enter the kingdom without being born of water and spirit. I mean, you can disagree, but maybe you don't. That's the bare minimum. I can't even enter without being born of water and spirit. But Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men without hol and holiness without which no man shall, shall, shall see God. Now, as I read that, I go, now, that's, that's deeper to me. One is talking about, do you want to get through the door? Do you want to enter in? Here's the very minimum. We got to be filled with the water and the spirit. But I'm not interested in just getting through the door. I want to see God. I want to know God. And now, we're not, the writer of Hebrews is not talking about entering, and he's saying, hey, if you want to see God, then a key component of that is this thing called holiness. You know, the Greek word for enter means to begin to experience. I cannot begin to experience heaven or, or the presence of the Lord. I cannot begin to experience that without being filled with the water and spirit. But the Greek word for see is to learn about or acquire information. So one is going to get me to begin to experience, but the other one, see God, is saying, no, I get to actually learn about and begin to acquire information. I am not interested in going to heaven just to make it into, just to make it past the finish line. I want to be able to see Jesus Christ face to face, to have this incredible, intimate, in-depth relationship with my Lord and Savior. Holiness moves beyond the bare minimum. It moves beyond the initial experience. And instead of go, it, it, it goes to a place, a depth, where there are new levels of learning, where we acquire new information. Holiness is not just based on a, hey, this allows me to begin to experience. Holiness goes, when I'm filled with the Spirit, when I'm baptized in His name, that allows me to begin to experience some things. But holiness goes, I'm not just interested in the initial experience. Holiness is I want to go to new depths and to begin to get information about something or someone in a way that goes beyond the experience. To some, this pursuit of holiness is foolish. Even in American churches, I could get up and preach this same message at churches across America, and you would think, sticking with the word of God, I'm not, I'm not getting up and preaching man-made rules and, doc, and, 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 and regulations, and here's the law of the church. I'm not getting, preaching that. I, am, I promise you, I'm preaching everything in Scripture. And you would think I could get up in any American church or any church across the world and preach this and be safe, but I would not be. Because the pursuit of holiness 
is foolish to some. But the Apostle Paul, this is not anything new. It's not unexpected. The Apostle Paul warned us this would happen. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, he says it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. But his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Do you ever have a friend growing up and you're just like, tell me your secret. Who do you like? Who, who do you have a crush on? Or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Whatever secrets you want to share with one another. I'm not interested to have a surface relationship with Jesus Christ. Of just, hey, what's my bare minimum to get through the door? Water and spirit? Cool, I'll do that. I just want to make sure I make it through. I want to get up close to Jesus and be like, tell me everything you have for me. I want to know every detail, every secret. I want to be the man you want me to be. I'm not interested in just knowing what the bare minimum is, how to get through the door. I want to know the secrets of God. And he says in verse 11, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. So again, if I read this, it's not a knock if you have never been filled with the spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. God has a plan. He has a promise. He has a gift for you. But based on that scripture alone, this is not me, a UPC Pentecostal church, refuge. This is the word of God. He's going, he says, if you want to know these things, if you want to know God's thoughts, you've got to have God's spirit. And we have received God's spirit. Again, people want to sometimes go to the epistles, which are letters to churches, and try and pull salvation things. Like, oh yeah, look right there. It says, if you just believe you're saved. See, that's how you get salvation. These were people who already experienced salvation. He says right here, yeah, yeah, we've already received God's spirit. He's not talking to people. He's talking to the church who have already experienced God's initial plan for salvation. Not the world's spirit. He said, so we know the wonderful things God's freely given us. When we tell you these things, we don't use these words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, capital S, big S, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Now, Paul was not insinuating, and we shouldn't either, that we should just walk around with arrogance because we're much better than everyone else out there. We have the Spirit, and they don't, and we're deep, and they're not, and we're smart, and they're foolish. That's not what he was saying there. He was just saying, hey, church, you're going you're gonna to encounter some things in some people who aren't exactly happy and excited for the things that you have. But God's calling you to deeper things. He's put his spirit inside you, not just to get you to enter, but to begin to reveal some things to you because he wants to take you into deeper and greater things. And when Isaiah speaks in the Old Testament of the highway of holiness, he lets us know that only undefiled people will share this highway. Foolish and evil people will never walk on this highway. And the Apostle Paul calls people foolish who don't have a hunger or understanding for spiritual things. I don't know about you. I want to be a person who God can always look at and 
I ain't never going to be perfect. But I always want to be hungry. I always want to be in pursuit. I always want to be going, God, I want more. I want more. God's goal in salvation is not to just get you to a specific place. That's not his only goal. I put my spirit inside you so that, you know, it's just like a photo ID. Just pull that thing out and be like, uh, uh, are you welcome? Be like, yeah, I'm Gary Darmot, filled with the spirit. Let me in. Like, that's not, that's not what, I better put this thing away so you guys don't know how much weight I've gained since my last picture. He didn't say, let me just put my spirit inside you so I can just help you get to that one place. Like, it's just a GPS thing that gets you to one location. God placed his spirit in you so that we as humans would share in his character the essence of who he is. I remember an old Bible. Anybody teach the old Exploring God's Word Bible study? And they had a black and white picture, you know, where a, a, a person, a nice smiling lad, was, was looking in the, in the mirror, and in the reflection was Jesus. That's, that's really what I want. I want, when I look at myself in the mirror, I want to see a reflection of who he is. I want to be more like him. And so that's part of the reason he, put, he placed his spirit inside me, not just to get me a get-out-of-jail-free card to make heaven. It was to conform to his image, to be more like him, to reflect him to this world in which we're called to minister. Just a few chapters earlier, Isaiah addresses the nation of Judah for trying to make an alliance with Egypt instead of trusting God. In Isaiah 30, verse 1, he says, What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord? You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. He says, for without consulting me, you've gone down to Egypt for help. You've put your trust in Pharaoh's protection, and you've tried to hide in his shade. It's not a compliment. God was saying, because their, their, their alliance with Egypt, scripturally right there, it says, it was not led by God's spirit. He talks about, you read through the Old Testament, he talks about having wings and being a shelter, a refuge, a covering. And they were looking for their covering from some, some, someone totally different. And if you study and read throughout scripture, Egypt was always a type of sin. It was a type of, of, of being against God. It was being anti-God. They made a worthless treaty with them. They aligned with the world and with sin rather than aligning with their God. They said, hey, I want to go to you. I'm looking to Egypt for protection. I'm looking to Egypt for covering. I'm looking to Egypt to provide my answers. And God's like, that ain't cool. I'm not fine with that. You could have came to me, and instead you've gone to Egypt. In Isaiah 30, verse 6, it says, The message came to me concerning the animals in Negev. The caravan moved slowly through uh, across the terrible desert to Egypt. And look what Isaiah says. He says, donkeys weighed down with riches. Camels loaded with treasure, all to pay for Egypt's protection. They were wasting so much trying to pay for protection that they did not even need. God's going, you're paying a price for something that you didn't have to pay for. 
He says they traveled through the wilderness, a place of lionesses and lions, a place where vipers and poisonous snakes live. All this in Egypt will give you nothing in return. Egypt's promises are worthless. Therefore, I call her Rahab, the harmless, harmless dragon. What is God saying? He's going, you as my people could have come to me, and I would have protected you without cost. I would have been the one who looked over you, and instead, you're carrying all that you have, and you're giving it away to the nation of sin. And what are they going to give you in return? Nothing. It's worthless. What's he saying here? When the children of God start to look to the things of the world and they're willing to sacrifice things to the world, we're expecting something in return, something that's going to be fulfilling, that's going to set us apart or put us ahead. And it doesn't. When you look to the world instead of the things of God, it's worthless. It does not work for your benefit. They thought they had an alliance, but they were getting ready to walk really through lioness and lions and, and poisonous sakes. But what, what, what is he saying? He's like, you're getting ready to walk through a valley of the shadow of death. And David says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God, you're, you're with me. But Israel at that point, Isaiah, he's going, I'm going through the shadow, valley of the shadow of death, and we're going to bring as much money as we can and hope Egypt with us. Preposterous. Isaiah says it's worthless. Isaiah was willing to stand and to preach a message that was countercultural because everyone else in that time, they're like, yeah, let's go to Egypt. Egypt's a superpower. Egypt's got all the resources, the wealth. Let's go to Egypt. Let's, let's try and get on their side. And it's sad when in today's world we still can see people who are more concerned about fitting in with the world than we are about aligning our lives with Jesus Christ. And Isaiah gets up and preaches this message and he challenges them to walk the highway of holiness instead of aligning with the sinful things. But you know that's never a, a popular message to preach. Anytime a preacher gets up and says, I'm going to preach on holiness. I said, I made a joke to my wife today. I said, hey, just get ready. You think things might have been a little chaotic here recently? It's about to get real chaotic because I'm going to preach on holiness today. Because anytime you preach on holiness, it's calling the church to a depth that stirs up the enemy even more than preaching a message on the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is the bare minimum. It's the, I can get through the door with this experience. Holiness is challenging the people who have already experienced that to say, I'm not content to pitch my tent here, but I want to walk the road to holiness because I want revelation about who Jesus Christ is. It's a hunger. It's a desire. And when you start to say, hey, there's certain things I'm willing to give up, places I'm willing to go because I want something more with God than just what I have now. You cannot, not in 15 years have I ever preached a message or a series on holiness and people have not lost their minds in the upcoming weeks following. It does not happen. 
So let that be a challenge to you. Keep your mind intact. Screwed down. Don't let it blow away. But here's what he says in Isaiah 30. They tell the seers, stop seeing visions. They tell the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Did somebody really say this? Verse 11, forget all this, forget all this gloom. Get off your narrow path and stop telling us about your Holy One of Israel. Whoa. Are there really people out there who are doing this and saying this? Yes, there absolutely are. You might not verbalize that just like that, but the flesh does not want the message of holiness, consecration, commitment, separation, sanctification, pursuing God. I want the ones that are just, God's in it. God's, you're going to be all right. Keep serving God. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless your family. He's going to bless your children. Oh, God's got a great thing coming for you. We're like, and we're just, we, we want that. But the messages that say it's time for sacrifice, it's time for consecration, it's time to set aside the things of this world, it's time to put the, 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 the distractions and the things that are trying to vie for our attention and our time, it's time for a fast, it's time to go into 40 days of prayer and fasting, it's time to set aside media. We don't want to hear that because our flesh says, man, don't tell me that. Just tell me. I don't want to walk this straight and narrow path. Tell me the good stuff. Don't just preach the doom and the gloom. And that's why, for me, it doesn't even concern me very much. I loved the location that we were going to build on, right on the highway. I loved it. I was excited for the visibility. But you know what I felt God show me in prayer is the message we preach. Someone might drive by, and they might stop in to see what a service looks like. But ain't nobody sticking around if they're not hungry for God. Because there's a, there's a message of commitment and consecration that we preach we're going to preach it with love I'm not saying I'm going to be hard or anything like that but I'm going to preach the truth in love and I will not compromise to the things of this world I will not stop preaching commitment, holiness, sanctification separation, consecration and if someone doesn't want that, there's churches all over that will just preach the message that avoids the gloom and gets off the straight and narrow path and just tells it to you like you want to hear it but it will not be this church because this church we will always say I'm not interested in just entering the kingdom of God I want to see God God calls his people to a life of sacrifice in Romans 12 Paul writes to the Roman church and says I beseech you I'm begging you essentially, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, I'm begging you to accept, to, to live your life separated and sanctified. Anything God calls us to is reasonable and fair. And it's only by the mercies of God that we even have a chance or a choice to offer ourselves. In the Old Testament, there were several parameters about the sacrifice. There were age restrictions and gender restrictions. It had to be unblemished. 
But his goal for his church and his bride was this in Ephesians 5, 27. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, he's talking about his church. She will be holy and without fault. Now, if you're here going, well, I'm out. <laughs> I got faults. When the Bible uses the word perfect, it doesn't mean like we understand it. It means complete. And we're made complete in him when we're washed in the blood. When the blood that he shed is applied to our lives in repentance and water baptism. Because of what Christ did, he made it so we could apply his blood to our lives in the waters of baptism. Then being part of his bride without spot or blemish. We can now see in the Old Testament. It, they, didn't, they didn't go. They didn't go to Mary's little lamb and go, hey, would you like to die on the altar today? It wasn't like, bah, bah. oh, they, they bad twice, so they're good. Let's grab them. They didn't do that. There was no choice there. It was an atonement lamb to cover, to, con to, 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 to push the sins, to, to just provide a covering for the people for another year. That's all that was. But Paul writes to the church and says, no, no, no. When you've applied the blood to your life and you've taken on his name and you're part of the bride, he doesn't just grab sacrifices against will anymore. Now there's an invitation to the church, to the bride, where he goes, hey, I still call for sacrifice, but it's not an animal sacrifice anymore. I invite you for you to lay yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Which, just so you know, this is your reasonable service. Anything God asks for is not, it's never unreasonable. I don't care if he asks you to listen to certain things, watch certain things, wear your hair a certain way, dress in certain clothing, listen to certain music, worship a certain way, give financially, time, be faithful. There is nothing. If he says, I call you to be baptized, to, to do it this way, in this method, there is nothing because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. I have no hope. There's no hope. I'm, I'm hopeless. I, there's nothing there until God took on flesh and he said, no, I don't want Gary to die on a cross. I want to pay Gary's price. Because of that, I have eternal hope. So there's nothing he can ask me to do that is beyond the realm of what's fair or ordinary. Well, yeah, but you should be able to take Christian liberty and not have to dress that way. Are you kidding me? This is not a rule and a regulation. If scripture says something, I wholeheartedly align as worship unto him because he bought me. He paid my price. I am just so privileged that I have the opportunity 
to serve him. I am so thankful. This isn't a rule. This is not a regulation. This is not a law of the church. This is my Savior looking at me going, I want to give you an invitation, and that is to lay your life on the, on the altar of sacrifice and have it be a living sacrifice that's holy unto me. It's not just but, oh, I have to not do this and not do that and not do this and not do that, and now i got to go do this. No, no, no. It's, it's I'm calling you out of this and into this. I'm holy unto him. Not, oh, just... These are the things I have to leave. Holiness is a privilege. Please, and I'm just about done. Don't twist this and develop a martyr's complex. Please don't. Now, I'm sorry. I will publicly apologize to everybody online in here. If you've walked away from this, if you have bitterness towards somebody who used to preach it this way and they used to call you out and yell at you and do this and there was never teaching and all this stuff that I hear through the years about various people from the North Pole to the South Pole all the way around the equator. I, I, I am so sorry if that was ever taught to you well, because I said so, bless God. I apologize because it was taught wrong. Because in this church, we are not going to say, certainly, if you want to be a part of certain ministries, hey, just like if you want to work at ESPN, you know, they, they say we dress a certain way, we look a certain way. If you want to minister in certain capacities, yep, here, here's, here's the parameters, here's the guidelines. You ain't going to be teaching children's ministry in your speedo, ain't happening here. There's certain guidelines. But if you say, I don't buy it, I don't believe it, no problem. You don't have to be a part of that ministry. We love you. We want you to come to church here. Ain't nobody meeting you at the door saying, uh, can you kneel down? I want to check your skirt length. No, ain't nobody doing that. That's between you and Jesus. But there are going to be people here that go, oh, no, no, this is the way I choose to live because Scripture says this, Scripture says that. And so for me, it's not about I can't do this and now I can't do that. It's a living sacrifice. I've laid myself on this altar going, God, you were kind enough to see value in me and you shed your blood for me. The rest of my life is yours and I wholeheartedly submit to you and I I worship you with my body. I worship you with my life, with every part of who and what I am. I want to worship you, God. And so if, if, if you don't know the why, if you only know the what, the what is, we don't do this, we do this, we don't do this, we do this, we don't do this, then I'm sorry. You better get in the now what discipleship course as quickly as you can with Brother Foster so he can open up scripture and say, here's the why of the what. Here is why I choose to do this. Here is why God would ask this of me. And the only reason I'm not doing it is not to do with scripture. It's because I'm looking to eat for some things. It's because Egypt is still strong in my life. And I still kind of want to fit in with Egypt and look like Egypt and look to them for fulfillment. But there comes a time that God looks at his church and says, it's time to let go of Egypt. And I'm calling you out of there into something much more powerful than anything Egypt has to offer. And so... When people say a martyr's complex, oh, pity on me. I'm now in this Pentecostal church, and I live for Jesus. And now i got to die out to all these wonderful things. 
Yeah, yeah, we think it's a good idea to die out, to go into bars and taking shots and waking up next to someone who you don't even remember having sex with. Yeah, I'm talking about how, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's calling you out of snorting cocaine and saying, I'm going to steal from my parents. I'm going to steal from my siblings. I'm going to wake up and not know where I left my car the next day. Yeah, we're calling out to say, you know what? I got so much bitterness that the next man that lays his hands on me, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to spend time in prison. Yeah, yeah, we're calling you. The Lord is calling you out of some of these real things. I'm preaching straight. Why? Because Egypt wants to make it look like, hey, this is where the glitz and the glamour is. This is where the funds and the resources and the fun is. This is where it's going to be. You live up the high life. This is where you want to be. And so I'm sick of young people in the church going, oh, he's just trying to preach these rules because he's trying to keep me from all the great things that are out there. There is nothing out there that is greater than what it is you are experiencing right here today. And so I don't want to, I want to get rid of that martyr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to do this. And now they're telling me to worship this way and not listen to this. And, and, and hey, that's your choice. That's your walk with God. That's your commitment. That's your consecration. I can't, I can't install ring doorbells in your bedroom trying to figure out what you're listening to and watching. Good Lord, that's creepy anyway. But it's you, it's your commitment to Jesus. At some point, there's got to be some young people, some, some children. And that's where the responsibility to teach the next generation, it does not lie just on the church. It lies on the family. And so parents, if you're just saying, don't listen to it because I, I said so. Don't watch it because I said so. Don't go there because I said so. Don't just say that. Give them, give them information. Let's, hey, that's a great question. Let's look at scripture. Let's look at the, what the Bible has to say. So when you choose to do this, Kiera, it's not a rule of dad. It's you going, this is the way I want to worship my God. This is the way that I want to grow up and say, God, I offer you this. I lay this on the altar of sacrifice. It's not, oh yeah, it's only sacrifice from here on out. I walked away from the bars. I walked away from the parties. I walked away from all the glamour. And this is what I got to do now. Just remember, there are more yeses than no's in the kingdom of God. People want to focus on, well, Adam and Eve, you can eat of the trees of the garden. That one you can't eat. Well, why would he even do that? I mean, why would he keep a tree from them? Well, it wasn't like it was a little botanical gardens that you paid 10 bucks to walk through and you were in and out with your family. You're talking about square miles of trees. He said there, you, you, you hear what he said. You can, he, he, didn't, he didn't start with, you, you, you can't do that. He says, you can eat. Why would God tempt them? God didn't tempt them. Without the other, God gave them the power of choice. Without their other tree there, they didn't even have a choice. Of course, if you can have the power of choice, there has to be a choice. So he says, there's one. I don't want to eat it. Don't eat it that one. But look around. You can eat of all that. What does humanity do? What does the enemy do? He wants you to focus on the one thing you can't do. Did God really say? 
Yeah, man, it's kind of messed up. I can't do that. Can't mess up. You know, pastor said something, but it's not a good idea to go to prom. Man, that's messed up. I grew up and going to a church. They don't even think it's a good idea to go to prom. It's messed up. What about all the other things you can do? We sometimes want to focus on the one tree when there's just thousands of other yeses. And we want to say, well, there's this no in the kingdom of God. When you feel different from this world, holiness is not just about internals, externals, rules, regulations. It's about the heart of the believer that says, I've experienced salvation. I can enter in. But now I want to see God. I'm not going to earn, I'm not going to earn favors to be like, well, God, I spent the last 365 days and I didn't listen to any secular music. You owe me. What? That's not it. But it's the heart of the believer that says, how can this vessel reflect your image? I don't want to be, David says, I don't want to let any evil thing before my eye. Job made a covenant with his eyes. If, if I see this from men of God before me, then I want to make a covenant with my eyes. I want to make sure that this vessel remains holy, washed in the blood. I, I want to make a commitment that there's certain things I'm not, certain places I'm not going, certain things I'm not wearing, certain things I'm not looking at or listening to. There's certain things that I'm drawing lines because I want to be holy, not because I earn holiness, but because you have called me to be holy, to call me away from Egypt and into something greater and deeper and unto you, God. And so I want to lay this vessel on this altar of sacrifice. And I just, I just want to lay this. I'm a willing vessel. And this is my reasonable service and, and so I submit myself to you. I don't want to look to the world for fulfillment. I don't want to look to the world for, for them to fulfill me and for them to be the one that I look for. Oh, will they approve of me? Will the, well, I, I hope that they'll and that's tough sometimes, especially in your age, that you look and say, well, I want them to accept me. I want them to find me approved, but that's not the goal. My goal at the end of the day is I'm going to graduate and they're going to go somewhere else. I, it's not going to really matter long term if they've approved of me. But what's going to matter in eternity is, did my Lord and Savior approve of me? Did he look at me and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's time to enter in. But I'm not just interesting in just entering in. I want something deeper. I want something more powerful. And today God is calling his church to walk the highway of holiness. And this journey includes sacrifice, hear me, but this journey also includes a life of privilege. You are privileged to have God go. I see enough value in you to invite you onto this highway. I see enough value in you because I want to share my secrets with you, because I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to reflect who I am, and that is an incredible privilege. I invite 
invite you right now to just find a place to pray. I invite you to recommit to holiness that even though the things of this world are so strong and they're so at times distracting and there are times they're trying to get our attention, I want you to be able to come and find a place and go, God, no, I want to walk the highway of holiness. God, I want to be separated unto you. I want to come out from among them and be separate. I'm not better than anybody, but I've just been blood-bought, redeemed, set free, sanctified. Nothing you can ask of me. There is nothing you can ask of me that is not fair. It's my reasonable service. You can ask anything of your word, anything in your word, and I will wholeheartedly be willing to do it, God, because I want it to be worship to you. I want it to be worship to you, God. I want to walk this highway of holiness. Lord, whatever you see in me, God, I want it to be a reflection of you. In the quiet moments where no one sees what's going on, I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person who says, God, let my words please you. Let my thoughts please you. Let my actions please you. Let my apparel please you. Let the things I watch and listen to and do and say in places I go, I want every part of my life to please you. I don't want worship to just be three songs on a Sunday. I want worship to be choices that I make and sacrifice unto you in worship unto you, God. Help me today to walk the highway of holiness.